0: And discipleship doesn't happen in a 30-minute sermon or a 5-minute conversation. Discipleship is a journey. Discipleship says, as Jesus did on the road to Emmaus, I'm going to draw near and walk with you. And share with you all the things about God. I've heard it said, and I truly believe this, that every person should strive to be a Paul to some and to be a Timothy to others. What do I mean by that? I mean that it's important for Christians to have mentors who have been farther on the journey than they are, and it's important also that they would have other people who haven't been as far as they are and who they can mentor. If you have both of those things happening... Your Christian life will be greatly strengthened. Today's message is a letter of clarification and encouragement. We know from the beginning of this chapter that the Judaizers came down uh, to Antioch and they said, Unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. So this plunged the church into confusion because the Gentiles had been given the gospel. Peter testified that the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius as with others. And so there were these congregations springing up that had Gentiles and Jews worshiping together. And that was the primary reason for this letter of clarification that's about to come out is because these Gentiles and Jews were worshiping together and now they were one in Christ. Paul said there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is only one in Christ. And what a lesson that is for us today in this day and age of so much racial tension. God only created one race, that being the human race, and the races... Within that race are just evidences of his creativity. But we are all one in the Lord Jesus. So let's um, read first. The, so this is a letter of clarification and encouragement. And the first point is a letter composed. So let's start reading from Acts chapter 15, verse 22 through 29. Acts 15, 22 twenty nine, Then pleased it the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief among the brethren. So these are people that had had the respect of the congregation and they said, let's send them forth and give them the decision that we have made through the Holy Spirit. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles and the elders and brethren send greetings unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cicil- in Cilicia. So these are three specific churches that are mentioned here. For so much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to which we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good unto the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols, and from the blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, for which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. Fare ye well. So let's look at a couple of things here. First of all, we see that they are addressing a particular need. They saw some false teaching creeping in. They said, we need to address this. And by the Holy Spirit, um, they were directed the specific things that they needed to deal with. And all of these specific prohibitions that the Gentiles were given, um, three out of the four of them anyway, are 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 directly dealing with ceremonial Jewish law. So they're saying to the Gentiles, this is how you can respect your Jewish brethren. Of course, the sexual immorality um, clause is not something that has to do with ceremonial law and is still in effect today because we are to abstain from sexual immorality. So, But all of these other issues deal with things that God had told the Jews and God is saying here to the Gentiles, if you want to have good fellowship with your Jewish brethren, these are things you should do. And then um, they're acknowledging that these people that were stirring up trouble came from them, and they troubled you subverting your soul. It is so discouraging when the truth of the Scripture is compromised by people that say they are speaking for, for God. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He says, Your mouth professes that you know me, but what? Your hearts are far from me. I just recently finished up a series of I believe it was twelve episodes on my podcast, talking about heresies that have crept it crept in to modern churches, specifically mega churches, and even more specifically taught by leaders like Joel Olstein. My dad taught me many years ago a principle that has served me well, and that is this. If the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. What did Peter say in his epistle? He said, these things are not of private interpretation. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, and adding to his word or acting like you can participate in the blessings of God without being born again by the spirit of God is not just dangerous it's plain wrong and you lead people to hell by false teaching and it's so true so they say it seems good to us Being assembled in one accord. How much do we need that today? The church needs to be of one accord. Why? Because we are bound by one thing, and that is the blood of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Anytime we sow discord among the brethren, it becomes about us. It's about Jesus. Jesus. To send chosen men with you, our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Isn't it interesting to see the growth of Paul? Because in, in Acts chapter 9 onward, we see Paul converted, and then the church doesn't want to believe him. They think that he's lying. And Barnabas comes and extends... To Paul, the right hand of fellowship. And he says, Paul is the real deal. Accept him. And then, Paul works with Barnabas in Antioch, delivers funds to the churches, and proves himself, and now he is a beloved brother. And this is their chief qualification for being sent on this mission. Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. These men believed in Jesus with all their hearts to such a degree that they were willing to hazard their very lives in the service of Jesus. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas who shall tell who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. So basically, they said, we're not just going to send you a letter and hope that you read it and hope that you understand it. We're going to send people with the letter so that they can explain the things in it and confirm that it is true. What does the Old Testament say? By the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every thought be established. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. How easy is it for us, even in modern day, to say that for salvation it means the cross and. The cross and. There are still people today that believe that they can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but they also have to fulfill the Old Testament law. But what does the Apostle James tell us? He says, if you are guilty in one point, you are guilty in all. Paul tells us to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. He tells the Galatians that to slip back into following the law is to be bewitched. He actually says that. He says, who has bewitched you to believe the law? And then he talks about abstaining from the meat offered to idols and from blood. Why? My dad read this morning, the life is in the blood. And from being strangled and from fornication from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. Fare ye well. I think this is an important thing to point out, too, is that when a non Christian looks into Christianity and they say all the things that you have to do to be a Christian, quote unquote, seems like a very square life, like a very boring life. But why is the reason that we do these things? Because if we keep ourselves, we shall do well. You know, if you, um, stay committed to purity before you get married, you don't have to get a call a week before you're about to get married and have someone say, I'm raising your son. If you stay in your committed marriage, you don't have to worry about whether you might get some disease from your actions because we're committed to one another. All these things that God tells us to do are because He wants us to do well. And I think it's just so, such a testimony that the church was fighting for unity. That was the whole purpose of this, was to fight for unity. And boy, do we need unity today. If we can look at John chapter 16, verse 13, John 16, 13, by way of a quick cross-reference. If someone finds it, if they could read it for me, that would be amazing. Albeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, but he shall not speak of himself, but... So, notice in verse 28 here, it doesn't say, For it seemed good to us after we decided what would be best for you. No, he says it seemed good unto the Holy Ghost. So they were unified in the Spirit. Just like earlier when we read, As they were together in one accord... And praying the Holy Spirit said what separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work whereunto I have called them so God communicates to the church through unity and he promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to guide them into all truth and this is part of the truth that he's guiding them into is these Gentiles are your brothers Require nothing of them except for these things. Someone wrote congratulating that Reverend Archibald Brown upon his devoted and successful work for Christ and asked the secret of it. The answer is very simple, said he. Fifty years ago, Archibald Brown was joined up to the main and that tap. That tab has been running ever since. Let us open the inner cells of our being to God's Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say? He said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Paul said, for in him we live and move and have our being. There is nothing good or exceptional in Paul Except for the good and exceptional God that he served. So the second point, Acts fifteen thirty to thirty-two, is a letter delivered. Okay, so now the letter's been composed, and now it's going to be delivered to the churches. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they gathered the multitude together they delivered the epistle which when they had read they rejoiced for the consolation and Judas and Silas being being prophets themselves exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them so what we see here is they wrote the letter then they dismissed the traveling party and said go and deliver the letter but they didn't just drop the letter off and leave they went And they allowed the people of the church to read the letter and the people rejoiced because they knew that the things they had already been told, that salvation was of grace, was true. And then Judas and Silas, who were powerful leaders in the church, also themselves exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. We are told in the epistle to Timothy that we need to commit the truths of Scripture to faithful men so that they may teach others also. We need to be about the ministry of multiplication. Because if it's just about one person, when that one person is no longer in the ministry, when that one person's ministry is done, the ministry ceases. It cannot be about that. It has to be about the gospel, which transcends any individual people. So remember, we already read that these people were going to confirm these things were true. I'm sure that you have realized that when you hear something, Or when you see something, you learn a certain amount. And when you hear the same thing that you see, your retention is increased. So it's important for them to read the letter and to hear from the brethren that these things were sown. And verse 33 indicates that they tarried there. A space. When I look that up, it appears that scholars believe that could be as much as a year to show them the the truth of the Word of God. It is incumbent upon us to get discipleship right. And discipleship doesn't happen In a 30-minute sermon or a five-minute conversation discipleship is a journey discipleship says as Jesus did on the road to Emmaus I'm going to draw near and walk with you and share with you all the things about God I've heard it said and I truly believe this that every person should strive To be a Paul to some, and to be a Timothy to others. What do I mean by that? I mean that it's important for Christians to have mentors who have been farther on the journey than they are, and it's important also that they would have other people who haven't been as far as they are, and who they can mentor. If you have both of those things happening, your Christian life will be greatly strengthened. The proverbs say says, As iron sharpens iron, so the countenance of one man sharpens his friend. Good things for us to keep in mind. Could we look at first Thessalonians four one? First Thessalonians four one. you ought to walk and please God. So Paul and the others who were, comm- are, were coming alongside him to pen this epistle to the Thessalonians wants them to abound in their faith and to walk closer with the Lord Jesus. That was Paul's goal. He never said walk closer to me. Matter of fact, there's another passage where he says, Some are of Paul, and some are of Apollos. And he says, I'm thankful that I didn't baptize very many of you. And I've heard somebody that I know say that that is a reason not to baptize people. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that I didn't baptize people so they would follow me. I baptized them so they follow Christ. It doesn't matter if you're of John MacArthur of Chuck, or Chuck Swindoll or J.N. Darby or Andrew Gomes, and it matters if you are of Christ. And we need to emphasize that over and over and over again. I think it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said he didn't care what he preached on every week as long as what came out of the pulpit was that it's only about Jesus. Because if it's not about Jesus, there's no point in being here. That's why we break bread every week, because we do it in remembrance of Him. Why? Because He's the one that paid the price for our salvation. What did John the Baptist say about his cousin? (laughs) He must increase. and I must decrease. He had a following. He had disciples. James and John were following him. They were learning from him. He had an influence on their life. And he could have just said, keep following me, I'm so great. But he didn't. He said, look, behold, the Lamb of God Which takes away the sin of the world. And what happened because of that? James and John went up to Jesus and they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said, Come and see. And then later, when they were fixing their nets, Jesus comes up to them on the shore. I like to imagine that he had a twinkle in his eye as they're fixing those nuts because remember that great catch of fish that they had with Peter? He was probably Jesus, I mean, a big part of the reason those nuts broke. But as they're mending their nets, Jesus says, Come, follow me. And the Bible doesn't say that they went home for three days and made sure everything was set, checked their bank accounts, all that good stuff. No, it says that they left their nets and followed Him. And we learn that John had some an inside road with the high priest, which is one of the reasons why he was in the inner courtyard when Jesus was on trial. And I had read that that was partially because scholars believe that Zebedee had a really really high position in the community because of his fish. So it could very well have been a big deal that his sons were leaving everything to follow this itinerant preacher. And yet they did. Because as Peter would later say, when Jesus said, are you all going to go away from me? Peter said, where would we go? For you alone. You alone have the words of eternal life. It is said that a tradesman once advertised for a boy to assist in his shop a few hours after the morning paper was circulating, his office was thronged with all kinds of boys, and not knowing which to choose, he advertised again as follows. wanted to assist in a shop a boy who obeys his mother. In response to this, there were only two boys who ventured to apply for the situation. This would still be a good test. Very likely. So when we choose a life of following the Lord, we choose a life of obedience. Jesus said, If a man will follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a daily choice to deny yourself and to follow him. That's why Paul says in First Corinthians chapter 5 that a husband is to lay down his life for his wife as Christ also did for the church and gave himself for her. And that's not just about physically dying even though it may come to that. It's about dying daily to self. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ And the life that I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in our third point, we see God's word continuing to go forth. You know, for years and years and years, the devil has tried to stick his oar in. Just like in the beginning of Acts. And say, you're not really saved. The devil knows Scripture. Remember, the devil tried to use it to deceive even Jesus. But Jesus knew the Scripture and fed it right back to him. And he leaves us an example. But as as this passage goes on, we see that the Word continues to go forth. Acts fifteen thirty three to 35 says, And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles, notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So they want to make sure that after this shake up of theological difficulty that these believers were rooted and grounded so Paul and Barnabas continue to teach and preach the word of the Lord. That's where the power is. People want to talk about how can we have economic help? How can we have health, how can we have any number of these things? The answer is to look to Jesus. We don't know why Silas abode when others went back, but we do know that later in this chapter he will partner with Paul and Barnabas and Paul part ways. And we'll get into that next time. But we know that through all of these stories, through all of this narrative, God is working to build His church. What was the church built on? Some people say it was built on Peter. But I believe the correct reading of that passage, On this rock while I build my church, was on Peter's confession. What was Peter's confession? That Jesus was the Christ, the Son of of the living God. It wasn't about Peter. It was about Jesus. And so they tarry for a time and then they go back on to the Apostles. Why do you, why do you think they went back to the Apostles? So they could give a report and say, We delivered the letter and this is the result. The people are encouraged in their faith. They're walking strongly with the Lord. One of the things I really like about Paul is wherever he is, he is preaching and teaching the Word of the Lord. That's why at the end of Philippians, you read these words, the saints of Caesar's household greet you, because Paul is in prison, waiting to go before Nero, most likely chained to one or two guards at a time, and the whole time he's preaching the gospel. That's why he would say in chapter 1 of Philippians, I'm in a strike between two, whether to stay here with you or to depart and be with Jesus, which is far better. Paul understood that the greatest win-win situation was that one, because if they killed him for the gospel he would be with Jesus. And if they kept him alive, he would keep preaching Jesus. That's better than any buy one, get one free deal you can find in any store today. What a blessing it is to know that the same God who worked in Acts is at work today in our hearts and lives, and in our communities. God is not dead, but is very much alive. If we look get Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. So this was Paul's calling. He, is, he wants to present people complete in Christ. And he's striving toward this goal because that is the work that God is doing. And it says what? That God is working this work in him mightily. Because God does not do things halfway. He does things fully In Philippians chapter 2, Paul will say, For it is God who worketh in you. Both the will and to do of His good pleasure. Remember, as we go on through Acts, we'll see sometimes God closes the door. Paul will say, well, I wanted to go to this place, but the Spirit hindered me. Are we willing to listen to God for open and closed doors? The blessed work of grace has been going on in various parts of Scotland. Many have accepted God's great salvation and rejoiced in in their newly found Savior. Among these was Mr. Murray, an office bearer in one of the churches, and for 50 years a professor of religion, without, however, the one thing needful. One day, as Mr. Murray was reading a gospel paper, he came across the following statement, The gospel brings us not a work to do, but a word to believe about a work done. I see it all, said he to his wife. I have been working at the keyhole, and the door has been open all the time. My 50 years' profession goes for nothing, and I get salvation through simply accepting Christ. It's kind of interesting that Jesus would say to the Pharisees, Not only do you follow the law, quote unquote, but you add to the law and you lay burdens on people that even you yourself are not able to bear. The man in this illustration was saying, I've tried 50 years to be a good religious man. I've made every effort to do that. But that 50 years means nothing because all I have to do is accept the work that Christ already did. What did Paul say? I count all things that I had as gain as loss that I might win Christ. He says, I count it all as done because Christ is what matters. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father Step through me. If you're trusting in any other way to get to Jesus, please stop. Because Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. I don't go to a priest for confession once a week because I go to my Father in Heaven every day through Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we think of the words of the hymn writer, free from the law, oh happy condition. What a wonderful place it is to be free from the law that we couldn't keep anyway, no matter how hard we tried. Lord, thank you for this Passage in the book of Acts, may it encourage and enrich our hearts as we seek to follow you and to do those things which you have called us to. Or may we be of one accord and may people know we are Christians by our love for one another. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.